Welcome to the In Defense of Ska podcast. There's a lot of like, okay, well, you like Ska named three bands that aren't the boss tones. I'm your host, Aaron Carnes, music journalist and author of the book In Defense of Ska. And I'm your co-host, Adam Davis, veteran Ska musician from the bands Omnigon and Link 8. On our show, we aim to push back on the mainstream's negative perception of Ska music. There are so many great untold stories throughout the history of Ska. The show features interviews with everyone from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones to Fishbone, Fall Out Boy singer Patrick Stump, and the police drummer Stuart Copeland. Join us on In Defense of Ska from the Consequence Podcast Network. Consequence Podcast Network. Popular music as we know it today is relatively new. I mean, we're talking 70-something years, which most likely includes your entire lifetime or a hefty chunk of it. But in the history of all music, it's just this little blip at the end. All the genres and subgenres you know, rock and R&B and country and hip-hop and house, trap, tropical house, dream pop, dubstep, all of these huge, towering cultural movements that we can't imagine our lives without, they're even tinier blips. And they've had this outsized impact on culture in their short lifespan. Disco had a huge influence on the way pop music is created. And the peak of that movement was like six or seven years. Punk had a huge, huge role in shaping music. And it's this tiny little blink and you'll miss it part of music history. And grunge... Surprise! It's even smaller. The exact timeline of grunge's cultural dominance is up for debate, but it was roughly 1991 to 1996, so that's five or six years. Half a decade. Its cultural impact, however, has lasted so much longer. You may be thinking, how did a movement that could have been a flash in the pan end up making permanent shifts in the cultural conversation? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I've got some theories. A big part of it was the media environment. Before the internet really began to dominate every aspect of our lives, record companies had tons of power over the musical landscape. They pushed the bands they wanted to succeed and developed narratives to suit their sales goals. When record executives decide that Seattle was the hottest place in the world, it became just that. Today, the internet and music streaming have for better or for worse, made it impossible for the powers that be to focus all of the world's music fans on one place or one genre at the same time. There's too much content available, and there's too many ways to consume it. But back then, grunge benefited from having all of popular culture funneled through very narrow channels. Another part of it was that grunge was just really, really cool. It had seeped into the social conscious to such a point where, you know, suddenly you had models walking down the runway wearing flannel shirts, you know, and combat boots. That's Miles Kennedy from Alterbridge, and he clearly remembers that grunge didn't just take over the music world. It was a cultural movement. It changed the way people carried themselves, even the way they dressed. I remember back in the late 80s when my friends all were starting to leave Spokane, where I live here, and and they'd come home and visit, and they'd be wearing, like, combat boots with shorts and flannel shirts. Now, flannel shirts, that was just part of living in the North and still is. I, I love, I embrace the flannel shirt because I live in the Northwest. It's warm. But like it was, it was the shorts and the combat boots. That was a new thing. You started seeing that be the norm around here, but then fast forward a few years later and you saw it in Main Street America. <laughs> and, and it was, it was really fascinating for all of us to see what an impact, not only the music was having, but even the, you know, the fashion and just the whole thing was making, making the rounds around the world. 
But the real reason why the grunge scene in general and Alice in Chains in particular have remained such a big part of the cultural conversation is that they made really great music. The naked emotion, the yearning that runs through all of Alice in Chains' discography, but especially on Dirt, it takes a special kind of magic to maintain that hold on the cultural conversation, and you can hear all of it in the rock subgenres that have popped up over the last 30 years, and in the direct influence Alice in Chains have had on generations of musicians. On this episode of The Opus, we are talking about the legacy of the grunge movement and the lasting influence of Alice in Chains music on the charts and on their fellow musicians. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Adam Unz, and this is The Opus. cliche about grunge is that it was a scene full of moody, disaffected bands who appealed to the moody, disaffected youth of the 90s. An energy that was kind of, shut up, you're not my dad. But that was a funhouse mirror distortion. The reality was that a lot of grunge music sprung up from a tremendous amount of authentic pain and anger. A lot of the bands up there in Seattle, Northwest, a lot of those bands kind of had this pain about them. That's Charlie Benanti from Anthrax. And me coming from New York, I've seen the worst of the worst, you know. But yet, I don't think the band Anthrax or anything that we've ever kind of carried the pain on our our sleeve. But a lot of those bands were dealing with this inner sadness or something, something. I don't know what it was, you know, Nirvana. Alice in Chains, even Soundgarden, you know? But I think Alice in Chains, that record, Dirt, is so bleak. And you you never know what the pain that someone's dealing with. I don't know if it was uh, in a cathartic way that they were writing about this to get it out there. But it didn't seem like, especially in some of the lyrics, that there was any hope. It just seemed like, this is it. I could get myself out of this but maybe that's tomorrow. I'm just going to continue. These bands had gone through a lot. They'd lost close friends. 
suffered through heartbreak, and struggled with mental health issues. The sadness that hung over the Seattle scene wasn't posturing, it was real. They poured that authenticity into their music and they broadcast a giant wave of emotion to the entire world. And their fans saw themselves reflected in those songs. Hearing the sounds of grunge made them feel seen. They saw all their problems and pain and anger reflected in the movement. But an isolated expression of pure emotion isn't enough to touch millions of people. The catharsis came when those lyrics were combined with melodies and beats that moved fans. Literally. Alice in Chains and the other grunge bands affected so many people because they channeled those serious, heavy emotions into some incredibly popular tunes. Those songs wouldn't have resonated so much with the droves of fans who bought them if they didn't express their somber sentiments in a way that got people on their feet. These musicians were so skilled at packing these perfect radio-friendly jams with emotional weight, and it spoke to slews of budding musicians in a way that helped them to shape their own sound in the years to come. When I was getting into hard music, like most people, the first thing I kind of turned to was the radio. Tetrarch co-founder and guitarist Diamond Rowe had that exact experience with Alice in Chains music. And so, you know, that's how, you know, you find all of your favorite bands as a kid. You learn about them. And Alice in Chains was one of those bands. I would hear, like, Wood on the radio all the time. I would hear Rooster on the radio all the time. And those kind of, like, pulled me in. I became a big fan of theirs. I learned a lot of their stuff on guitar. A lot of those songs on that record in particular... That record is it's very cool in my formative years as a musician and as a guitar player, learning about melodies and harmonies and learning how to write dark music and learning how to write like catchy dark music. There, That's another one. You can sing Alice in Chains choruses back, but it's not like cheesy. That's a really important piece of Alice in Chains' lasting appeal and the effect they've had on rock music. Balance. Light and shade. Heavy and mellow. Nuance, creating that bridge between dark, moody music and, I don't know if I'd say pop music, but definitely mainstream music. Alice in Chains are so influential to such a broad range of subgenres because they found a sweet spot between familiar musical patterns and something much weirder. And that balance is crystal clear on Dirt. Here's Kenny Becker from Goon. I feel like Dirt has this great way of having heavy riffs that are melodic yet dissonant at the same time that sometimes suggest a strange uh rhythmic pattern or time signature but ultimately they're they're actually just in four four but like they make you think that it's not it sort of feels cooler the tensions between like dissonant and melodic and heavy and not heavy. It's a delicate balance, bridging the gap between the rough and the smooth. And Alice in Chains did it masterfully. But the musical bridge that most people attribute to the band's sound was built between grunge and heavy metal. For me, how they fit in was there was that, that dark element. This is Miles Kennedy again. 
they kind of slowed things back down again, kind of full circle back to where Sabbath kind of would have approached things, which was a total reaction to what was going on in the 80s. Hard rock and metal started to get pretty, I don't want to say safe, but it, it was certainly, they were painting with colors that were very different than what Seattle was going to use a few years later. And Bill Kelleher from Mastodon had a similar experience. I know they came from the grunge scene. I was at the perfect age for them at, at uh, when they were doing that. You know, I was went from like listening to punk rock and, and just learning guitar. And I hadn't discovered like metal, metal yet. Slayer, Metallica and Testament and Iron Maiden and all that stuff. And, and they were a great buffer because I wanted to get into metal, but I wasn't, I wanted something of my own, you know, and, and to me, Allison Chains offered that. You can hear that influence in tons of heavy bands. Folks like Avenged Sevenfold and Breaking Benjamin wear their Allison Chains influences on their sleeves. And also in the murkier sounds of sludge metal bands like Thou. Dirt's doominess hangs over a huge subset of the metal charts like a giant Seattle rain cloud. Apologies for the labored simile, but you get the point. This music has seeped into the consciousness of so many bands and guided them at all stages of their careers. And we're not just talking about broad strokes here either. The mechanics of Alice in Chains playing have aided the development of so many great musicians. In some cases, they've literally acted as tutors. Dirt was the first CD I got to buy with my own money. That's Dallas Green of City in Color and Alexis on Fire. I remember sitting in my bedroom for that entire winter, like learning every song on guitar, you know, like literally like Jerry Cantrell was teaching me how to play guitar, if that makes sense. What I didn't realize until years later when I started trying to write songs is like that was also teaching me song structures. That was teaching me. uh, I was also singing along while I was playing, but I didn't realize I could sing yet, you know, because I didn't take voice lessons. I took guitar lessons, but I was singing along just because it was coming out of me. So like Dirt is the most seminal record in my life because of when it came out and where I was in my age and where I was in like learning how to play guitar and songs and stuff like that. It is the most important record in in my life, bar none. So many other bands have felt the same way. Musicians have siphoned off pieces of Alice in Chains songs so much over the years, but the place where you can really hear their influence echo through the last three decades is in those much-copied, pitch-perfect vocal harmonies. Bands like Queens of the Stone Age have emulated the harmonic blend perfected by Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell. That sound has become so pervasive that you can almost take it for granted. But so many musicians, like Miles Kennedy and his Alter Bridge bandmate Mark Tremonti, recognized Lane and Jerry's genius for what it was. Here's Miles. And the harmonies are fascinating to me because they're not always just your traditional, okay, we're going to put a third above the tonic. You know, it was some of that stuff's really advanced and really, really dark and, and, and interesting. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier unpredictable. You know, that's the genius of it is that it's like, you hear it and you go, what is that? Like, <laughs> this isn't your parents' harmony. This is something totally different that we haven't heard before in, in hard rock. And Mark Tremonti gets even more explicit. Well, I don't know how many times through my career that I've told other bandmates when I'm writing a song, hey, it'd be great to do an Alice in Chains harmony, you know, on the vocals. You know, their harmonies are just the ultimate. 
many times I've written riffs and gone, oh, that's kind of Alice in Chains-esque, you know, because it has the slow bends, you know, all, all the Cantrellisms. Um, so like it or not, I think many of us bands that write melodic hard rock, we all draw from Alice in Chains. That's undeniable. I, I, I won't hesitate a minute to say Cantrell is one of the greatest songwriters of the last 10 or 20 years. I'm sure I drew from it, you know, just from being a fan. The melodies, the harmonies, the song structures, everything about it was right on so many musicians can pick out elements of their own work and say, I do that because of Alice in Chains. It's a real testament to the innovation and artistry that runs through the entirety of Dirt and the rest of the band's output. But beyond inspiring musicians and bridging the gap between genres, Alice in Chains has stayed the course for more than 30 years because of the community they've built. That was an essential part of the grunge scene, too. Those bands hated the name grunge, and none of them wanted to be lumped under that umbrella with bands who played totally different music from theirs, but just happened to be from Seattle, too. But it wasn't just geography. These bands all had something else in common. They were cheering each other on. They all knew each other, and they had this sense of community because they all wanted the others to succeed. It's that spirit of camaraderie that Alice in Chains fans feel when they go to one of their shows. The band encourages that feeling, not just from their fans, but from the musicians who tour with them, too. I remember saying this to Jerry. This is Dallas Green again. We were in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I was like, I need to tell you that this is like, this means the fucking world to me. You know, like this, like I haven't, I haven't uh, up until that point, too, like I hadn't really had a lot of moments in this life where I, I had like run into people that that truly were the reason I was doing it. I'd done a lot and experienced a lot and I, I felt like proud of myself, but like I hadn't really had many opportunities to like either tour with heroes or just run into these people. You know, I felt like for the umpteenth time, like we started the tour in British Columbia. And by the time we got to Manitoba, like I had already said it a, bu- a bunch of times to them, but like, I remember saying it to Jerry again and he was like, no man, I get it. Like Van Halen took us out in 89 and Eddie was my favorite guy. And like, and I was like, that's different. That is different. You know, Van Halen taking out Allison Chains in 89 is different than you taking me across Canada in 2019. But this really means the world to me. And he said, we're all in the same band, man. That's what his response was. You know, we're all in the same band. We're all in the same band. If Allison Chains has one legacy, one way the world knows how much of a difference they made, It's the way they've touched their fans and fellow musicians with their music. The outpouring of love that's come from marking the 30th anniversary of Dirt shows that this album has helped so many people to battle their demons, understand the world around them, and maybe most importantly, carry the torch by making incredible 
life-changing music of their own. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Adam Unz, and this has been The Opus. The expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Price. It's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Oberst, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts.